Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news, and your views. Good morning, Alan. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And uh, this is an incredible story because I envy you, and I'm not going to be the only one who envies you when they find out who you are and what you've been doing because you have worked with truly some of the greatest rock and pop stars of all time, Paul. How did this come to pass? Um, well, I suppose the very beginning, there would be, be two main points. One would be the first time... Uh, when I kind of, I ran into my mum's kitchen and she was a big fan of Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, but she absolutely swooned over uh, Emil Ford and the checkmates and I'd love to get you in a slow boat to China, what do you make those eyes at me for? But she was so in love with these songs that she continuously had the radio on waiting for them to play them again. And I ran into the, the their her, um, kitchen one day where the radio was on and it was a sound on the radio and it was hypnotic, it was infectious, it was pleasing, it was commercial, it was likable, and it literally physically, mentally, spiritually stopped me in my tracks, and it was the sounds of the Beatles. Wow. And and in that moment, my life pretty much changed. Uh, And then the other part of how I became an agent would have been, I was hanging out with a bunch of mates of mine when I was 14, 15 schoolmates, and they decided to form a wee group. And I wanted to continue to hang out with the group, being my friends. But in those days, the three basic requirements for being in a group was, A, you had to sing, rule me out. B, you had to play an instrument, rule me out. Or C, your dad had to have a car that would drive the group around the gigs. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have a car, we had a scooter, and that was a bit too much to imagine, getting <laughs> all the stuff in the back of a scooter. But anyway, I did know a gentleman by the name of Dixie Kerr who lived two doors down from me, uh, uh, and um, I went and knocked on his door, and I said, uh, Dixie, any chance you could give uh, the Blues by Five a couple of relief spots? Because he played on a show band, and he played all around yeah. the ballrooms. Dixie being Dixie, very, very nice, affable man. He said, yes, of course I can. He took out the diary on the spot, gave me three dates, or bookings as they were called then, and I went and told the Blues by Five, so I've got you these three bookings for the breakaways, and they immediately immediately appointed me manager on the spot, and that was kind of how I got off on the road of. Yeah. And the manager in those days was really just somebody who got gigs, and 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 uh, and that's really with with the with the genesis of it all. Let me name drop a little bit for you, because from those humble beginnings, you have worked with the likes of the Kinks, Robert Plant, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Don McLean, Rory Gallagher. Have to talk to you about Rory Gallagher, uh, Marianne Faithful, John Prine, Carly Simon. You've also promoted shows featuring U2, The Police, Meatloaf, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd, BB um, King. I mean, where do I even start? First of all, the axe man himself, Rory Gallagher, the greatest, perhaps one of the greatest guitar players of all time. How did you come across him? Uh, I mean, again, I was, I was you know, hanging out in Ulster uh, and going to gigs and, and um, you, you know, in Belfast in those days, Rory's name as a spectacular guitarist from Taste was on everybody absolutely everybody was talking about him I mean, and when you see him you knew why he was actually literally on the fire um, and he was he was such a, a great guitar, off stage very, very sweet Irish gentleman, very quiet, very mild-mannered but when he went on stage plugged in his guitar into his AC-30, he became a giant yeah. and a maestro of his instrument. And he he really f- had found a way that he engaged with every single person in the audience. He was just so exciting, like from like literally three seconds in. A lot of acts take, you know, a couple of songs to warm up, to get into the groove, to get the sound or whatever. Rory, from the minute 
He hit the first it's guitar note. He was there. He was exciting and he compelled to watch. And he was kind of off stage, as I said, he was a very nice man, very, very easy to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and has done to this day some of the best shows I've ever enjoyed. I mean, the thing about Rory is that he didn't play to an audience. There was no demarcation where the stage finished and the, and the audience started. For him, it was all the one. It was the band, the audience, and him, and it was a performance. Uh, to the degree I remember that a lot of nights when you'd come away from you would be as exhausted as you felt the audience, uh, uh, yeah. sorry, as you felt the, the, the musicians would have been. It's a short time frame with you. I, I really would love you, if you're ever in Wexford, to pop in and we have a full and frank chat because in this short time frame, I can't even go through half of what I'd love to talk to you. But one thing I would like to talk to you about is Glastonbury because this, for me, uh, I still watch regularly the performance of the Killers when they played pre-COVID pandemic at Glastonbury. You've been involved since the early days working with uh, Michael Levis. What's that been like for you, Paul? It's been a joy. It's been a great revelation. I mean, again, you know, I, I was working with him in some of the different different acts, different stages, whatever, from the beginning. And then one year I, I booked my acts in all the stages as well. I rang up the acoustic stage and I said to them, look, you know, and they said, oh, Michael's cancelled the acoustic stage. So I rang up Michael and said, he said, look, Paul, we had to. They were running over budget every year. And, you know, there's just so many yellow cards you get before you have to get the red card and get sent off. So I said, what was your budget? And he said, give me the number. And I said, so if I can put together a bill for you and come under that budget, will you? Did he said, yes, of course, we will love the acoustic stage. So that was 32 years ago, and we've been programming the acoustic stage. And it's just a joy. Some of the, you know, some of the highlights we've had, like uh, Art Garfunkel one year was on, obviously without Paul Simon. But, you know, what he found was when he started to sing the Simon and Garfunkel songs, the audience, which is about 7,000, maybe the same around the outside of the tent, the audience sang all of the Paul Simon harmony <laughs> parts. It was just it was just a phenomenal experience. Yeah. And it was a weird thing, Alan, because, you know, with that size of crowd, it, it didn't start in ones and twos and then yeah. go into a hundred and then whatever. Okay. For some reason, they all came in together at the one time. I mean, I'd never witnessed anything like it in my life. It was just a very, very spiritual, amazing w- moment. Wonderful memories. I got to wrap it because I got to head to the news at 12. Paul, we will link no in again, but just uh, plug the book. Uh, it's available and there's lots of jaw-dropping uh, stories. Where is the book and where can you get it? It's called Adventures in Wonderland and it's available from all good bookstores or hotpress.com. Well, I wish you the very best of luck and thank you. It's a lovely way to round off the show. And I've I just been reading parts of it as I, before I came on air to talk to you or over the last couple of days. It's a, it's a cracker. Wish you well, thank Paul. You. Thank you very much, Alan. Thanks a million. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views. Alan Corcoran.